This is the Mark Dolan Way. Top tips for mind, body and soul, some great life hacks and my favourite products of the week. This show is available on all podcast platforms or you can watch it. Just subscribe to the Mark Dolan Way on YouTube and join the Facebook group. Enjoy. Hello and welcome to the show. I hope you are very well. If you're going through a tough time in your life, if it seems like everything is going wrong and that you've got one problem after another, just a blizzard of issues raining down upon you, then I've got three words that will help you manage that situation beautifully. And those three words are you're being tested. Okay, so whatever it is, a bereavement, and then you get fired, then your partner leaves you, then the house burns down, and you forget your combination for the lock at the gym, it all goes wrong. You're being tested. And if you think of those three words, when you're going through a tough time, when it seems like everything's going wrong, that will help you get through. It will empower you. It will make you puff your chest out, have your head held high and allow you to move forward. The reason being that you're being tested and it won't last forever. In fact, being tested is quite good because it makes us stronger. It gives us a thicker skin. It challenges our resources. It demands something from us physically, emotionally, mentally. And that is life. As you know, a key theme of this show is that life is difficult. We don't just accept that. We own it. We live with the challenges of life. We live with the pain. We live with the struggle. That that is part of the mix. That is there. Which takes me to my second inspirational message. And again, it's three words. Actually, it isn't. <laughs> isn't that perfect? It isn't three words at all. It's good, isn't it, that I'm not an accountant or something or the Chancellor of the Exchequer. It's seven words. And these seven words, let me tell you, let's do a little little pause for a moment. Just gather yourself. Here are seven words that will change your life. Feel the fear and do it anyway. So as you go about your life, you're going to be consumed with fear. When we're afraid of something, we think it's a personal weakness that this is some kind of fallibility that we've got. You know, other people haven't got it and we've got it. There's something wrong with me. No, 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 no. Fear is built into your psyche. It's a survival mechanism. You're supposed to be afraid of spiders because in the outback, some of them are poisonous. But what you've got to do, because fear has now become the daily currency of life, because social media and general pressures of modern living make us completely anxious about everything, so what you've got to do is you've got to own that fear. And if you're afraid of something, you do it anyway. So you feel the fear. Let the fear wash through you. Let's imagine you don't want to be, you don't want to dive. You don't want to go on a diving board, okay? But you really want to be a diver. So what you've got to do, you've got to go on that diving board and you just got to leap off it, okay? Feel the fear and do it anyway. It's a beautiful thing. Um, now, folks, I've got lots of things to tell you in today's show. 
First of all, can I tell you that this program is a low carbohydrate program? Now, it's not the main thrust of the show. If somebody asked me what was the main thrust of the show, it would be that I want to get you in the tie. Excuse me, put my teeth back in. The main thrust of the show is that I want to get you in the top 5% of people. Okay, that you've got 95% of people and then you've got the 5%. And they are the elite. They are fulfilled, happy, healthy, wealthy, doing a job they love. They're getting it done. And by the way, it's not easy to get into that 5% and you can often slide back into the 95% very often. But that's what I want to do for you is I want to get you into, into the 5%. And what we do is on this show, we, we take the road less traveled. You know, we, we, we look at things, we challenge them. Uh, we take issue with with dogma. We take our own view. We take our own path. There is no received wisdom here. There is no status quo. Everything is questioned. OK, that's what this show is all about. And for that reason, um, the show is so that's the main thrust of the show. But it does so happen that I'm a big fan of low carbohydrate living. And I will tell you that I'm not a doctor. I'm not an expert. If you're going to change your lifestyle, go and see your doctor. Take professional advice. I am not an expert, but everything I'll tell you has worked for me. And one of the aspects, if you do decide to go low carb, because just very briefly, I can explain it to you so quickly, which is that the way low carb works is it's based on body chemistry, not calorie counting. So essentially, insulin is the main fat storage hormone of the body. If insulin is high, you store fat. If it's low, you burn fat. And that means that if you eat food, which keeps your insulin down, which is protein and natural fats, then those fat cells will open because the insulin is low and you'll get thin. What happens when you have carbohydrates is it spikes the insulin up, that locks the fat cells and any extra blood glucose from the carbohydrates gets shoved into fat cells and it becomes body fat. So that's the mechanism of low carb. Um, I lost three stone going low carb. It took me about six months. Absolute game changer. But um, there are a couple of interesting aspects to this. So for example, my mum went low carb and reversed her diabetes. She was pre-diabetic. She got that into remission and she lost weight and she felt great. But she was at the London Marathon watching my brother run. He's a great athlete. And she collapsed and she fell to the floor. I think she bumped her head. I think she grazed her forehead or part of her head. She got a little small injury and she was taken to hospital in an ambulance. Anyway, they ran a load of tests on her. They didn't find anything wrong except that her blood was low in sodium. OK, she was low in salt. Now, why is that? Well, because if you go low carb, that means that you don't hang on to these minerals. They, they actually just go through your kidneys. They just excrete. And uh, that's according to low carbohydrate diet proponents. Um, that's how it's supposed to be, um, that your body is supposed to like have these minerals and then they get worked through the kidneys. And the idea of eating processed carbohydrates, you know, fries, pizzas, pasta, bread, all that stuff, sugar, is that that causes you to retain fluid and retain these minerals. So the link between blood pressure and having lots of salt is one made by many medics. And they say that salt consumption is linked to heart disease. But many would argue, including James D. What's he called? James D. Nicolantonio. What a name. What a mouthful. 
He is a cardiovascular scientist and best-selling health author, and he's written a book called The Salt Fix. And he argues that as long as you've got a healthy diet and it's relatively low in carbohydrates, because your body is excreting minerals like salt, you actually need salt for optimum health. And he argues in the book that it can help stabilize your blood sugar. It can help with weight loss. It can give you energy. And he even, for example, says that like, if you're feeling tired sometimes, just have a, a little bit of salt on the palm of your hand and just eat it and you'll get a little buzz of energy. He also argues it helps with hunger cravings. He argues that salts like pink Himalayan contain really important minerals that your body needs, such as potassium. So he's a fan. He thinks that salt is a nutrient, almost like a vitamin, and that it's very important that you have it. And that if you're low carb, you need to really think about it, almost supplementing with it. He recommends, for example, if you're doing sport, especially weightlifters, if they want to get an extra rep, they can eat a little bit of salt and drink it with some water and then they might get a few more reps. It's astonishing, isn't it? But if you think about it, we do need salt. It's essential to human survival. The Salt Fix book argues that salt has been demonized over the years. Um, look, I, I will grant you that 90% of probably 95% of medics think that salt is, is linked to heart disease and high blood pressure. But D. Nicolantonio is in the 5% who says that's rubbish. And so why didn't you research it for yourself? But if you are on a kind of low carb diet, your insulin is nice and low and you are excreting those minerals. Um, why don't you just make sure that you've got some nice, high quality salt in the house and see how eating a healthy amount of salt makes you feel rather than like depriving yourself of salt when you crave it. In the book, he points out that there are cows that walk miles to lick on salty stones and that salt used to be the like the equivalent of gold. Okay, The city of Salzburg in Austria is a very rich city because it was built on selling salt around the world as a food preservative, as a health supplement, and of course, as a flavor enhancer. I will tell you that I love salt. I find it delicious. I find it improves meat. It improves eggs. I'm, I'm a huge fan. If I'm having, for example, I love roasted cashew nuts, but if they're unsalted, I will add salt and then they taste, taste so, so good. But you have a look at salt. Uh, maybe think again that it's not so demonized. But I will say if you're on a kind of unhealthy Western diet where you're chowing down on cans of Coke and pizza, then do not increase your salt because uh, that will because of all of the fluid retention. You see, it's interesting when you go low carb, right? You, you lose weight straight away. Some of that is water weight. You just lose all this water. And it's because your body is not hanging on to all of this fluid. And um, and and within that fluid is salt. OK, all of that just pours out of your body when you go low carb. Whilst we're on it, uh, let's power through a couple of other things. We've got some some great, great uh, material for you. But let me offer a product of the day. And this is called Slim Noodles. And uh, the little subheading is ready to walk. So if you're watching the show, I'll just hold them up to you there. They come from my local health food shop. They cost about pound fifty for a packet, which I agree is a lot of money for noodles. And that is probably one, one to two portions. One portion if you're really hungry, two portions to be shared between two people. Um, now, these slim noodles are zero carbohydrate, appropriate for keto and paleo. They're organic, they're gluten-free, sugar-free and vegan. And they are from an amazing, gorgeous root vegetable called konjac. 
very popular in the Far East, including China. And you can get slim noodles. You can get pasta like spaghetti. You can get penne. You can also get rice, all made from konjacs. It's this root vegetable. And what they do is they basically turn it into pretend noodles. You need to rinse it because it's it's in this kind of fluid when you buy it. And it's a bit stinky. I don't know why. So you just have to rinse it um, and then fry it in the pan. So I like to do this, these noodles with extra virgin olive oil, garlic, a few slices of chili and big king prawns, a splash of soy sauce. All is good with the world. Beautiful. Try to buy Japanese soy sauce, which doesn't contain gluten. It is superior quality. So there you go. There's your thin noodles. And what's amazing is that when people go low carb, they think, well, how am I going to survive without pasta or noodles? How am I going to survive without bread? There are so many low carb alternatives. Um, If you're out and about and you need a quick snack on the go, a few recommendations for you. First of all, little cheese portions are great. So my local supermarket will do little cheddar. You've got the mini baby bell, of course, which I find a little bland. You've got red Leicester, all sorts of different little mini cheeses. But if you're going off to work, pop a couple of those in your bag. And it means that if you just get a little peckish at 11am or 4pm, rather than reaching for a croissant, just a little pop of cheese. Okay. And that little hit of, it's a nice mixture there. You've got protein, fat, and a bit of salt. It's just going to hit the spot. It will, it will assuage your hunger. So little mini cheeses, excellent to have in your bag. It's the same thing if, you, if, you, if you're at work and, and let's say you're just a bit hungry on your way home at six or seven in the evening, or maybe you're on your way to a party and you need a top up and you're like, ah, I've got little mini cheeses in my bag. Um, the other thing I can recommend is having a little tin of anchovies. Anchovies are ridiculously packed with amazing nutrition like zinc and vitamin B, of course, a natural source of protein. These ones are from the English British supermarket Waitrose and they're in extra virgin olive oil. But anchovy fillets, they're in a can. The can lasts normally for a couple of years. So that can sit at the bottom of your bag. A lot of people struggle to do the low carb thing because they they're out and about and they're trying to go low carb and they're hungry and, and all they can find is sandwiches. So it's good to have a few little evergreens in your bag. It really does the trick. Um, another nice thing, by the way, is berries because berries are low sugar fruit. So I can recommend those. They are gorgeous. Um, there's another thing you can do, by the way, if you want to get your carbs down. If you like milk, try lactose-free milk. Certainly in the UK, there's a great company called Lacto-Free. See if you've got the equivalent in your territory, because this show is very global. It's very international. But what's nice about it is that they use enzymes which basically eat the milk sugar because lactose is the milk sugar. And these enzymes eat the sugar. So the milk tastes the same. It just hasn't got the sugar in. Now, the advantage of that is that for some people, lactose is hard to digest. And I would argue lactose isn't great for anyone because we're not really designed to eat cow's milk. Cow's milk is for baby cows, not for human beings. But milk is delicious and great in tea and coffee. Um, So I do find that the lactose-free milk is a good solution for everyone. It's a bit like gluten. You know, no one should have bread because some people are gluten-free, but really it's a spectrum and everyone is on it. I would argue that I don't think gluten does anyone any good. Even if you don't feel symptoms, it could be that you have some gut inflammation from gluten without even knowing it. Same with lactose. 
So lactose-free milk, I am a fan of it. And the Lacto-Free is the brand that I enjoy. And what's amazing is the, for some reason, the method by which they make it lactose-free halves the carbohydrate content of the milk. So that's really good, isn't it? So it's less sweet, it's less sugary. And now when I have normal milk, it does taste too sweet. A few things you need to do in life. Let me tell you, most of us are too hard on ourselves. I'm the worst at it, but I'm, I'm sure you have the same problem. And I think it's because we were raised to be self-critical and why didn't you do well in that test and the teacher's not happy with you and then you're at home and your mum's not happy or your dad's not happy because of your behaviour and your room's a mess and you grow up with this sort of narrative that you're in trouble and that you're bad and that you're naughty. Of course, that can be that can be accelerated and amplified in an, an abusive setting. But even if you just had a normal, conventional happy childhood. Um, I do find that the way we raise our children is is about expectations and about always needing to do better and be better. And therefore, what you need to do is you need to learn the art of forgiving yourself, okay? Because that's the only way you're going to move forward is if you learn to forgive yourself. And I want you every day to just practice that as a little exercise Maybe write down some stupid things you've done in the past and then just say you are forgiven. Because what that will allow you to do is that will allow you to to move on and it will potentially allow you to commit not to do those things again. Because if you've done something stupid, if you learn from that and if you forgive yourself, you won't repeat it. So therefore you being bad, you being naughty was a good thing because it was a learning moment. But we just beat ourselves up. You've got this guilt. Guilt is the most useless emotion. I mean, yes, it's healthy because it stops us murdering someone and not caring about it. So a bit of guilt is good. Running off with your um, running off with your husband's brother. Do you know what I mean? Not ideal, is it? So you would be. Oh, I'd feel very guilty if I ran off with my husband's brother. I won't do it because I would feel guilty. And that, so that's quite a civilizing thing. Of course it is. I would feel guilty stealing money or lying or anything like that. So so guilt is part of the moral code and it's 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 okay. It's a component. But I think guilt gets supercharged and amplified and exaggerated and it becomes a way of life. And it's really stupid because in the end, you just carry the negativity around with you. So let us just hypothetically say that you, let's say that you had an amazing job opportunity. It was a dream job. The money was amazing. The company, it's just, it couldn't have been better. But for some foolish, silly reason, you went out the night before the interview and you had a wild party. You woke up the next day, you were in pieces, you were not in good shape. And then you couldn't find your suit for the thing. See, like you were dressed like slightly casually for the appointment. You were three minutes late. Uh, your hair was a mess. You were unprepared. Oh, dear. You didn't get the job. And then you've just had after that, you've had months of misery. You know, you've had financial problems. You did find another job which you hate. Well, that's terrible, isn't it? 
because you could have had that great job and everything would have been great. And all you did, you went out and you went to the party and you didn't need to do that. Well, you could carry that negativity for years. You could carry that negativity for two or three decades. You could let it ruin your life. But what I want you to do is forgive yourself. So think about what it is in the past, stuff that bugs you, stuff that you feel guilty about, basically, stuff you feel bad about, right? It might even have been that you were a rubbish parent. Forgive yourself and be a great parent now. Because what you get with that silly guilt stuff, and I've seen, I've known people do this, that they were a rubbish parent, they weren't around enough. And then when they saw their kid, they like spoiled, spoiled them with like too many gifts and overly generous, which actually does more damage and it messes the kid up. So the kid is like deprived, slightly damaged from you being a rubbish parent and also spoiled rotten. It's a perfect storm. So the only reason you gave that kid those amazing presents is to assuage your own guilt. So do you see what a stupid negative emotion guilt is? Instead, what you do is you go, right, well, it's been, let's say my kid is 10 years old and I've been a rubbish parent. All right. We've lost 10 years. I mean, I'm sure there must have been some good things, but overall it hasn't been great. Well, what I'm going to do is I'm going to nail the next 10. And I'm, but the only way I can do that is if I can forgive myself for the 10 years that we've had. Okay. And it's like, I can't get those 10 years back. I can't be a great parent from last few years. I can only be a great parent. Going forward, sir, I forgive, accept the forgiveness and then it's over. It's over and the guilt disappears. That negativity, the currency is gone. And the same with the job interview. Do you know what? I went to that party. I shouldn't have. I forgive you. It's over, right? Crash the car, whatever it is. Right, forgive yourself. Because we know that forgiveness is very important for others. I mean, you, you hear stories about someone whose family were all murdered and the surviving member forgives the killer. And that might seem perverse, but it's because it allows the victim of that terrible nightmare to, again, to move forward and to have positive emotions. So it's very good. We know, don't we? We know that forgiveness is a good thing unto others, but we never, ever think of forgiving ourselves. So just go through your back catalogue, right? Former relationships, job situations, money stuff, mistakes you've made, right? huge, gigantic own goals that you've scored. Forgive yourself. Just say you are forgiven. Write them down. Have a, have a list. Remember what I said about that book, right? Get yourself a nice little notebook, like a little journal, and have lots of different coloured pens. Because I don't understand why only children are allowed all different coloured pens. Why can't grown-ups have them? So I've got green, orange here, and a couple of black ones. They're lovely. And write down, you can have a little chapter in your journal, which is you are forgiven, okay? And write all the different things down that you're forgiven for. Um, all you've got to make sure is that you're remorseful, which I'm assuming you are, and that there's some commitment not to repeat those crimes. And then forgive. So if you know, if you believe, talk to yourself and you think, right, I went to the party before the job interview. Am I genuinely remorseful and sorry and regretful? Yes, I am. Will I endeavour not to do that again? Yes, I will. OK, I've heard enough. You are forgiven. And away you go. And it will unlock a lot of things. Talking to strangers is a great thing. I learned it from my father who ran a very popular pub in North London. And I grew up chatting to the customers who were amazing people. So inspirational, all their life stories. Everyone's got a different journey. Growing up above a pub and having a sea of humanity beneath me was a great privilege. 
and it gave me a love of human beings, an affection for human beings. It gave me a very optimistic view of human nature. If I meet somebody, any new person, I view that as a book that I've not yet read or a movie that I haven't yet watched or a song that I haven't yet heard. That's how I view strangers. So I want you to go about your life and just realize the untapped joy, the untapped potential of the strangers around you. It's amazing. Everyone's, you know, when you walk in the park and I don't know if you're a dog person, but I'm a dog person. But are you one of those people that you greet every dog as you walk along? Because I, I walk along and I see a little chihuahua and I see a Labrador and I'm Ooh. I put my hand out and give a little stroke and they wag their tail. And sometimes they've got muddy paws and they put their paws on your brand new clean white jeans and they're lovely. And I see people greet pets all the time. But how often do you greet people? So as you go about your life, be aware of the people around you. Make eye contact. You know, you walk past, you're in the park, you walk past, someone's on a bench, look over, right? Make eye contact, smile, say morning. And they'll say good morning back. I learned this one particular moment. When I was at school, I went to a thing. Basically, we had a voluntary service where you would help out in the community instead of doing sport, which is like, that was like a complete win-win for me. Because it was either play uh, football or rugby. I mean, rugby was just truly horrific. I used to play rugby and I had a friend called Richard who used to use gaffer tape and wrap it around his head and wrap his ears using tape to hold his ears down. That's how hazardous the rugby was at our school. You needed gaffer tape to hold your ears down. That's not encouraging, is it? It's not a vote of confidence that gaffer tape is involved in a sporting endeavour. And he used to also rub Vaseline on his forehead. I don't know what was wrong with that guy, I'll be honest with you. Absolute freak. But listen, um, rugby was hazardous. Broken bones, head injuries, welcome to hell. I didn't want to do that. I didn't enjoy football. I was afraid of the ball because it was a very hard, heavy leather ball full of air, very dense. You don't want to get whacked by that thing. I found it actually hurt my feet kicking the ball. So football was a a real challenge for me. And also all that huffing and puffing, just like running after the ball. It's like, slow down. Give me a chance. Let me catch up. Do you know what I mean? Nothing. Completely, completely unempathetic. The other players... So I didn't enjoy football. I used to stand in the goal with the goalkeeper and just talk about Coronation Street and stuff and EastEnders and make conversation. And I also used to rub mud on my legs just for the hell of it because I was so bored. So there you go. That's that's my football story. So I was not really into that. I did have a game called Fives and what that was a bit like squash, but rather than a racket, you used a, a leather glove. And you would basically whack a ball in a court with one other player against the wall and it back and forth. And that was quite fun. But even that I wasn't very committed to. And I discovered that I could do it without even getting into like a PE kit. So I used to do it in my full school uniform. I could do it for like an hour and then straight out of there, straight home. Happy days. So I was not enthusiastic about sport at school. Only cross country running I used to enjoy. But that was it. And so where's this going? Well, In order to get out of sport, I did a thing called voluntary service. You help in the community. And one thing that you would have to do is go to the hospital and you would wear. I quite liked it because I actually was given some overalls, like a kind of blue tunic. And it made me 
feel like a doctor or a nurse. I could like pretend to, to be a doctor because I'm wearing official medical equipment. All right. Don't forget I was 14. So maybe 13. I wasn't really operating on anyone, but I could wander around the hospital, pretend to be a doctor. If I'd been good at science, I would have liked to have done that. But I was not. And so I did used to do that and I'd go in and what you would do is you'd walk from bed to bed in the hospital in the ward and you'd sort of go up to them and you'd say hello I'm from voluntary service how are you feeling today and your job is just to chat to them and see if they're all right and see if there's anything they want from the shop it's like do you need a newspaper do you need some toiletries do you need something to eat so I would go from bed to bed chatting to people on very nice animated chats. I think that was good for my self-confidence, having to approach strangers. But it wasn't that awkward because I was there to do that. That was my job. So I felt comfortable going approaching people because, you know, I was told, I was instructed, see each patient and offer them some assistance. No problem. So you'd have chats and it was all good. Um, but there was one guy in the ward, I remember, and he had a really angry face, a face like thunder. Just a furious looking man. Just, and I remember he was in this. I, I'd been avoiding him a couple of weeks in a row. I just didn't fancy. He didn't look like he wanted to be talked to. Right. He just was unfriendly and hostile, I would say. And I wasn't exactly overly confident. I'm a young teenager. I'm a bit shy. So I talked to other people and I've, I've ignored him, kind of almost respecting his space, thinking, leave the guy alone. It's a bit like when a dog growls at you. That's communication, isn't it? So anyway, after about two or three weeks, um, I just plucked up the courage. I just decided that it seemed odd not to go and speak to him. So he's got the same angry face. I go up to him and I say, well, hello, my name's Mark. I'm from voluntary service. Do you need a toothbrush? Right. Great opening line. Anyway, the expression on his face completely changed. His face softened. A smile appeared. There was a shimmering glint in his eye. And he said, oh, no, I'm OK. Thank you for asking. Uh, what do you do at school? What are you interested in? And suddenly he's asking me about my studies. And then I'm asking him why he's in hospital. And he's telling me about his symptoms and he's talking about his wife and his health and everything. We have the most wonderful chat. He turns out to be a great guy, super friendly. But most importantly, he really wanted to be talked to. So he had a hostile face. Don't talk to me. And yet, really, he was craving it. And I don't really know why he was so hostile or why he looked so unfriendly. Um, he might have had one of those faces and I was reading too much into it. Or he was shy because I think sometimes when people are shy, they do seem a little hostile. So occasionally if you meet someone, if they're a little off with you, if they're a bit cold or a bit hard, bear in mind they might be shy. And think about that because then you, you won't be cross with them for having like been a bit seemingly a bit rude a bit aloof it's like maybe they're shy it's a good thing to ask yourself if anyone's unfriendly maybe they're shy and the great thing with shy people is just to go really gently and then they they open up i i see it so much in my job where i'll have a new employee a new team member perhaps quite new to broadcasting and they like barely speak at the meeting and you're like bloody hell you know how how did he or she passed the job interview. And what are they doing working in the media? I literally haven't spoken, barely make eye contact. So often with, within six months time, those people are the chattiest with the most ideas, the most productive, outgoing. They were just a bit shy. So I think maybe this guy was a bit shy. And 
we became friends and I saw him every week and he was a great guy. And it taught me a lesson, which is not to judge a book by its cover. And that if someone looks fearsome, give it a go anyway. Kill them with kindness. I've said this in previous shows where why don't you make difficult people a project? You know, if there's someone at work that no one likes, uh, old um, Reuben, no one likes Reuben. He's just a crank. He's just a pain in the backside. He's just difficult. He's awkward. He's he's a wrong one, really. He's a bad human being, Reuben. If you found out Reuben had a, a, literally a pile of dead bodies sort of in the uh, buried in the patio of his of his home, you wouldn't be surprised. Well, assuming Reuben's not a mass murderer, make Reuben your project. He's difficult. He's awkward. No one else wants a piece of it. Go, go, go. All right. Because there's some value there because everybody has value, even old Rongan Reuben, the mass murderer. But yeah, so um, it's a lovely thing. So I do. I promise you, I, I talk to strangers and it's great for my mental health. So in a way, I do it selfishly. It cheers me up. And when I started working at the current place where I work, we had security guards and I introduced myself. I went, hello, I'm Mark. What's your name? And this guy would say, I'm called Eric. And I'm like, nice to meet you, Eric. And then away we go and we're chatting. And now whenever I see the likes of Eric or anyone else, I ask them how they are, how's the family? I asked them about their work situation. When did they start? When do they go home? Have they got the day off tomorrow? I'm interested in people. And it's a lovely thing. If you show interest in people, you get it back in absolute spades. And it's not fakery. It's not about being insincere. It's just connect with people if you can, if you've got time. Sometimes uh, I suffer for this friendliness. It can slow my day down big time. And especially if you get somebody that's really chatty, because I'm quite chatty. And then if you take someone that's also chatty, maybe with not the best social antenna, that can be that can be an hour of your day that you'll never get back. <laughs> so there are a couple of people now I almost slightly avoid because I know that I just haven't got time. Just a quick cursor we rave is, is all I can really manage. But um, but it's it is it is a thing. Just yeah, you, you like watching movies, you like reading books, maybe you like listening to songs. Check out people and see what's see what they're rocking under the hood. It's just amazing. Just do it later today. When you go, go, if you go for a walk, right, you're walking home from work, just make eye contact with someone, smile at them, say hello. I'm, I'm amazed by how many people then like enthusiastically talk back. It's great in queues because queuing's boring, isn't it? And it's really, really much quicker if you can chat with someone whilst you're queuing. And you might learn something as well. But human beings are a colossal resource. So why don't you tap into them? And I say that because that will put you in the 5%. 95% of people do not talk to strangers. 95% of people don't make eye contact. I go to a restaurant, I find out what the waiter is called and I find out what the manager's called. And like, hey, Paul, how are you? Steve said he's going to bring us wine and, you know, whatever, you know, just like get down with it. Get the names, get to know them, have relationships. It is a thing of beauty. And the other thing that's really good is to dress well always. If possible, especially in a work setting, my friends, try to dress really well. Even if work doesn't have a dress code and even if what you're wearing is casual, can you please make sure that it's top level casual so that you just look smart? And the reason why is because it's, it's your brand. 
And there's so many people out there who don't understand presentation. Okay, so they don't understand about clear communication, which we'll talk about in a future show about diction and getting your message across succinctly. Okay, that's physical communication, get the words out. But how you dress is communication too. So I really never want you to phone it in in terms of how you look at work. And this is non-sexist. This is 100% equally males, females. There's no difference. Okay. I believe that if you're ambitious as a female or as a male, you've got to look good at work. Okay. It's a theatre. All the world's a stage is what Shakespeare said. And a theatre has costume. So in the office, you've got your costume. I've got a few people at work. They dress really smartly and without realising it, you treat them differently. You perceive them differently. And I know other people just really casual, scruffy shoes. It's not happening. Um, Now, listen, I know, for example, that this shirt that I'm wearing, if you're watching, okay, the shirt is a bit wrinkled. So am I a terrible hypocrite? Because I'm at work now, aren't I? This is not work. This is a joy for me talking to you. But what I will say is, yeah, it is, it is, it is slightly, it is slightly crinkled. So actually, I probably should, should take my own advice and I should iron it. But I do think if you're watching this, you'll agree I'm, I'm quite smart, right? Because I mean, I'm actually at home in my green screen studio, green screen studio. I'm wearing a shirt and I'm wearing a tie. Why am I wearing a tie? I don't need to. I put it on just to do this podcast. And it's because I want to communicate a message to you of some kind of semi-professionalism. And I just feel that if it was a dirty, torn T-shirt, that that's not professional. I want to give you more than that. I want to I want to raise your perception of me. And there's only a few ways I can do that. One is by the material I give you in the show, the words I use, how I deliver those, and also what I look like. Okay. And I have different glasses, which I wear because I want to mix it up. So when we do a new podcast, episode 19, I'll wear might wear my lovely chunky pink glasses again. I want to get some more glasses just to mix it up a bit for the podcast. Um, Elton John, he always, he always dresses up for a show. Okay. And he said, because whether it's a big gig or a small gig, it's always an occasion. That's what Elton says. It's always an occasion. What a great word. Isn't he... I do think he he really hits the mark sometimes, old EJ. So every time you go to work, it's an occasion because I'm assuming you're ambitious. I'm assuming you want to go places in your career and in your life. Well, let let your clothing illustrate that. When I started in radio and I was just about 11 years of age, I'm exaggerating, but I was straight out of uni and I was wet behind the ears and a messy, disastrous young man. And I worked for this radio station and I was doing really well and I I was being promoted. But this American radio consultant came in, lovely guy, very wise, clever man. And he kind of said, look, do you have a suit? Right. Now, I did not own a suit and I was always dressed casually. And I said, no, why? And he said, if you start wearing a suit, you're, you're going to be the producer of The Breakfast Show in three months. So I'm like, really? He said, yeah, it's it's just, it's, it's, it's symbolism. It's, uh, it's branding, it's imagery. So I went and got a suit and I just wore a suit every day. And I can't lie. I think like three weeks later, I was the producer of the breakfast show. 
he was right. Now, the background to that is I think that I had an opportunity to to do that job. and I was perhaps going to be a candidate for it. But it didn't hurt, did it, that I was suddenly dressed smartly and looked like a grown up. So when I say, by the way, you know, dress well, you don't have to wear like, it doesn't have to be crazily smart. Although I, I would, it is the kind of James Bond thing where you can never really be overdressed, can you? Only underdressed. So I, you know, lads, if I were you, I would start wearing a tie again at work. Um, the others aren't wearing a tie. Well, that's their problem. You know, you might even get a few raised eyebrows, but you will be taken more seriously. That's the funny thing. So dress to impress. Um, there's that other saying, isn't there? Uh, dress for the job you want, not the job you've got. But it shows discipline. Human beings are very shallow and they judge by appearances. So why don't you play that game? You just look like somebody that should be the CEO. And then eventually you will be the CEO. Steve Jobs um, said that his big eureka moment, kind of in the early to mid stages of his career, is he said he suddenly realized that all of the so-called experts, you know, in the industry and the, the bosses and the, the developers and the, the clever people, the smart people, the people in power. He said he suddenly realized they don't know anything. None of these people know anything about anything. They know nothing. They don't know anything. The top people, they're busking it. It's improv. They're making it up as they go along. They haven't been found out. So why don't you be one of those people? Okay, nobody knows anything. And when you realize that, it's very empowering because you might know something. So I think, folks, that takes us to the end of the show. It's been lovely to have your company. I'm very excited to say that the release date for the show, the, the day that the show now drops, is going to be Sunday from now on, because I figured, you know, most of you, hopefully a good good number of you are not working on a Sunday. So you wake up in the morning, you, you get your coffee made. Maybe that's a little moment just for you to just sip your coffee, a nice, lovely Java roast, a splash of double cream, because I'm assuming you're maybe low carb because you've been impressed by this message of the program cream has a it's very good low low insulin response help with the fat burning you're welcome you're sipping your creamy coffee and you're listening to the podcast and it's just a nice way to ease yourself into your sunday and then it sets you up for what's going to be a big productive week so we're going to move the release date to sunday morning uk time so i think it's going to be about 9 a.m on sunday mornings which would therefore be in the United States. It'll drop in the middle of the night, unlike the Saturday. So I hope that works for everyone. Um, great talking to you and we'll catch up really soon. And uh, listen, be well. Can I, I never do this, but can I just recap a couple of things? Feel the fear and do it anyway. Let the fear wash through you and then just do it. You want to jump off that dive diving board. By the way, I was a little hesitant. Well, earlier, when I explained to you about the diving board, my son turned up very loudly with his girlfriend. It affected my concentration. But what I did is I just kept it going, kept it going for you guys. But yeah, whatever it is you're afraid of doing, you don't want to jump off that diving board. Well, you've got your wobbly legs. You're afraid. You you, you go up the uh, the ladder. 
You stand on the diving board. You don't want to jump off and you jump off anyway, right? You don't want to do it. You're afraid. And then you do it. Feel the fear and do it anyway. Seven words, not three. And then the other big one, forgive yourself. Okay, so remember that list. I really want you to do that list for me. And I want it done for the next podcast. So it's all, it's your homework, folks, is write down a list of things that you've done that you feel guilty about, that you cannot shake off. The guilt is parasitic and negative and it's having a bad influence on you. I want you to forgive. Brilliant. Uh, Lovely to chat and I'll catch you in a week's time. 